We all know the world of energy and natural resources is changing fast. People are demanding action on the climate crisis. Businesses and politicians are throwing their weight behind the energy transition. And technology is reshaping the world as we know it. But we must ensure the result doesn't become too complex and too confusing. That's where the Climate Transition Podcast comes in. In this series, DLA Piper's Energy and Natural Resources team speaks to special guests to help you make sense of it all. My name is Natasha Luther-Jones. I'm the global co-chair of the Energy and Natural Resources sector here at DLA Piper. I'm also co-head of our International Sustainability and ESG offering. And I am your host for the series. Today we ask, can we retrofit cities for an EV revolution? In some of the world's biggest countries, electric vehicles are at a tipping point. In mid-2022, Bloomberg New Energy Finance reported that in 19 countries, including here in the UK and China, Germany and the US, EVs now make up 5% of new car sales. Now, 5% may not seem like a lot, but BNEF says it's a crucial threshold because at 5% penetration, a technology has gone through its early adopter stage and some of the biggest challenges have been addressed. For EVs, the challenges include range, cost, and the size of charging network. This paves the way for faster growth. But selling the vehicles is only part of the equation. If the world is to see a revolution in the use of EVs, then there also needs to be a lot of supporting infrastructure. So how can we ensure that this grows fast enough to make an EV revolution a reality? This will be the focus of our episode today. And thank goodness I won't be tackling it alone. I'm delighted to be joined by Asif Ghaffour, co-founder and CEO of BEV. The company gained 110 million investment from Octopus Energy Generation Sky Fund in October 2022. Before BEV, Asif worked for 14 years at Infrastructure and Engineering Group AMI, most recently leading its investment team. And he also has extensive experience in PFI and PPP deals, gained during eight years at BAE Systems. No doubt this is vital background given his work on private-public agreements for BEV. Hi Asif, thank you for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure to have somebody I've worked with. Uh, I, I, was, I was counting it up before, I think it's 18 years we've been working together. So i um, very pleased to have you on our podcast today. I think you've got me mistaken with someone else. I'm not that old. 18 years. But no, thank you, Natasha. Very excited to be here today and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Thanks, Asif. I think this is going to be a fun podcast. So let's see. Let, let's see. Is EV charging fun? Um, it's fun. It's challenging, exciting. It's doing something different and something which when you've got a passion for something, you know, that's what you really want to be doing in life. And uh, you're making a difference. And that's important. Good. So look, tell tell everybody a little bit about the story of BEV. Um, well, gosh, we go back a number of years. So we go back to like 2015 when um, I was kind of working with my then CEO and Amy looking at um, the changes which uh, infrastructure are going to have over the next um, 10, 15 years. 
and the way infrastructure is delivered. And in particular, we were focused around three major factors which are going to drive that. So technology, uh, the introduction of data, and of course, sustainability becoming more and more important. And if you kind of look at the way infrastructure had been delivered for the last 100, 150 years, not a lot had really changed. And we kind of thought there is a real opportunity for business and uh, to do something different. If I fast forward a few more years, we kind of Unfortunately, Amy um, was going through a sale process, so they didn't have the investment to make. And uh, so, you know, great idea, great business plan, and um, set up the business with my business partner, Adrian Fielding Gray, um, in March 2020. And and from there, we've kind of, we focused our attention, really. So we focused on uh, mobility and the interesting challenges tech and sustainability and data will throw at that. And that's kind of where our EV journey has really started so the company was set up in 2020 um and then quite soon after in business terms so 2022 you secured the 110 million from octopus how important was that for you for the growth of the business well we we're in a capital intensive sector so our whole model is we're building a charging network which has to be working 100 percent of the time and at the same time, we are building uh, what in government terms they refer to as place, uh, sometimes referred to as leveling up or regeneration, but actually thinking about how you build this community-based network of uh, EV charges, which people really want. And for that, we need capital, but we need more than capital. And so when we went out looking for funding, we were looking and talking to organizations who could provide the capital, could provide the support, could also really deliver the integration of other renewable services, laterally thought about the way uh, we were approaching the market and how they've been approaching in other areas. And uh, to be honest, from day one, when we got going, Octopus Energy uh, Generation was a, a target of, you know, we really would love to be getting the capital investment from them and be working with them as a team. And that's, you know, we were so lucky and happy to actually secure them and be working with them. And they provide more than just investment. You know, the whole story, I'm not going to get into the Octopus story here, but the whole story behind the investments business in Octopus is, is uh, you know, it's amazing. So, so maybe before we tackle the sort of bigger question about um, the, the global transition that needs to happen for EV, um, I mentioned your background with public and private sector. Um, and I think that's quite an interesting aspect to see that come over into something that's not a PFI or a PPP. How important do you think it is for businesses like you to have that experience? I think it's massively important because um, when you look at the history of some of those relationships, some have worked, some have been pretty fractious. And what we were trying to do here is really get into under the skin of the communities, the end users, and get them massively engaged and supportive, get their input into the way we build this network. And alongside that, work with the public administration, work with the NHS, work with universities, work with the private sector, the whole community, and actually help them in some cases build that strategy. Uh, and in both public and private sector trying to build their strategies out in terms of how they should think about this sector, how this market will roll out, how additional vehicles will come out. And then 
but blend that in and think about that end user experience and bring it all together. All those years of sitting with um, central government, local authorities and so on, you get an understanding that, you know, you need to think about not just about the bottom line, but about all these other aspects. And that, that was, that's been invaluable to us, both me personally and for the team as well. I certainly remember some of those meetings in the years gone by, Asif. Um, I learned a lot, anyhow. Um, Okay, so let's look at, uh, from a global perspective, we have a massive need, the global energy transition, it needs to take place, it's urgent, it's significant. What sort of role do you think EV charging has got to play in that? Oh, a massive role. We are, you know, if you look at uh, the largest emitters of uh, nasty gases out there, then transportation is a is a is a negative, a massive negative, and uh, and it's something which relates to everybody every day um, to get from A to B. So being able to really deliver and think about how that delivery is being done, how you solve that problem, we started our first contract in Greater Manchester. And there, the mayor, Andy Burnham, actually had set out a very clear transport plan, uh, working with the local authorities across uh, the whole of Greater Manchester, which had the target of 2040 clean air that uh, and cleaner air. And actually, we are such an important part delivering the infrastructure, which enables people to uh, transition from those nasty combustion engine vehicles into cleaner electric and that can be replicated on a national scale and on an international scale and um, and we play a a pivotal part and and when we when we've started this business and thought about this business and i said to my business partner what is the 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 mission to the moon here Uh, it's leaving a legacy you know we can actually with our brains and the skills we've learned leave a legacy of cleaner environment than when we started um, on this planet. And that's important to both of us. That is really great to hear. And I have to say, um, disclaimer, um, I have an electric vehicle now as well, because I can't work in this environment without having uh, joining um, the EV charging team. But anyway, look, the figure I gave at the beginning, this 5% tipping point, um, when I was first doing a bit of research about this, I didn't feel 5% um, sounded that significant. Um, Do you have a view on um, why this figure has been given? Once you get to 5%, you're actually at that tipping point and making a difference. It's interesting if you looked, uh, let's just say the UK as an example. If you looked at the UK, 2% of vehicles on the road today are electric. Uh, The government set a target to get to 30% by 2030. There's wide disparity. So if you're in the northeast of England, that 2% actually is 0.47%. So there just isn't a lot of vehicle. And London, of course, London Southeast and Southwest, interestingly, seem to have high numbers. Um, the the reality is 5% of new sales. Um, if you look at motor vehicle manufacturers, a lot of them have actually made the decision to just cease production of combustion engine vehicles by 2025. All of these factors and fundamentally government policy has driven it because they want to ban the sale of new combustion engine vehicles by 2030 therefore everyone's reacted to that and and you know we are we are actually one of uh, leading the pack in uh, a world in terms of those policy decisions to enable people to start thinking about yes i need to think about electric vehicles if i want uh, a shiny new vehicle uh, the better models 
and the ones which look more interesting again are electric so we're we're at that point where uh, it's become relevant uh, and people would actively think about it and talk about it but unfortunately there are some barriers which are stopping people from actually going into this market so why don't we touch upon what are those barriers because from the outside looking in it does feel like this is a success it feels like consumer demand is being sort of not driven by, but, you know, encouraged in a certain direction by policy and regulation, all for the better good. So um, what are the concerns then? What are the barriers? If I, if I take a 10,000 feet view on barriers, then the barriers really are um, access to land to put in charging infrastructure, access to power to put in charging infrastructure. Uh, this is all new. So when uh, my mom's a big advocate fan of working and she's been out with me looking for sites um, and um, being the nominated driver while I spot. But actually, <laughs> when I try and explain the difference between slow, fast, rapid, ultra rapid, uh, mom, it's 150 kilowatts. She's like, I have no idea what's going on. I She loved the old world of, you know, you get to the petrol station, it was petrol, diesel, or it was E5, E10. And now we've got the, all this complication going on. So the, there are barriers around education. There are barriers around understanding. There are barriers around even EV drivers today don't realize that um, they should really stop charging when they get to 80% of their battery charge because the battery itself is slowing the speed down. Um, and so there's I have a number to say I didn't realize that, so I have learned something new straight away. Fantastic. But um, there are a huge amount of areas where people... Uh, and um, work still needs to be done, substantial work needs to be done to really increase our uptake and increase our knowledge base. So clearly challenges, but clearly a need and massive drive, both from private sector and public sector. Um, so with that in mind, where do you see um, what sort of growth is going to happen then for the UK and globally over the next decade? From a vehicle perspective, from a charging perspective, Jimmy. Well, let's do both then. Yeah. <laughs> well, vehicle, I think, um, you know, the supply side issues on vehicles seem to be uh, have solved themselves a little bit, and uh, and therefore the government's target of thirty percent, I think, is still pretty achievable um, um, by twenty thirty. So. Um, you know, you're going to get a large element of electric vehicles on the road, driving around a lot of new models. The Chinese are coming with a lot of models. The South Koreans are bringing new models out. And of course, your traditional um, car manufacturers are also thinking about what to do and, and have started the whole transition over. In terms of charging, it's been slower and there's a little bit of confusion in the way people think about it so uh, you know some of the uh, tabloid press has been talking about the government's figure of 300,000 charges need to be in the ground uh, in the next 10 years it's not necessarily always about quantity it's about the quality of the charging it's the speed those charges deliver you know if you put 300,000 lamppost slow charges that's not going to solve the problem at all uh, that's actually going to make the problem a lot worse. Um, it's about thinking about, you know, how we build this network and, and the strategy. And that's what we spend a huge amount of doing. When we when we started out and think, thought about rolling this infrastructure out on a regional basis, um, area by area, our whole model is based on building concentrated networks in particular areas and then moving to other areas and then working with national uh, chains and developers to spread that across the whole of the U.K., 
it is it needs planning and if there is no central planning being done by by somebody in local national or regional travel bodies then people like us need to take that responsibility and we and that's what we do that you know we spend a huge amount of time thinking about how we break those barriers and how we actually get that 30% target achievable that sounds great um, for people like me who um, are looking at sort of across all the energy sector, so we support you in EV charging, we support other clients in different sort of subsectors of the market, we hear a huge amount of talk of hydrogen. Hydrogen is mentioned in all sorts of different ways at the moment, and also power to X and other green fuels. Do these sort of green fuel vehicles represent a threat to EVs, or how, how do you see them? Is there room for everything? I've always started, um, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes on a, between Saturday and Sunday at four o'clock with a bonkers idea and I actually get out of bed and write it down, which is quite annoying. Um, and uh, and you, there are, you know, we, I start, when I look, think about my mobility and EV journey and, and, and building this business, I started at autonomous vehicles and started working backwards to see, am I, are we building a smart infrastructure are we building, um, where's the value play in this, actually? Uh, is it going to be at the app level? Is it going to be at the telecommunications level, the energy level, and so on? When you And and came naturally to say, actually, what where we need to start is what is scalable and investable? What actually exists today? There's lots of technology being developed, and hydrogen is a very good example. Hydrogen will have a place. But today, if you look at the majority of vehicles being produced or being developed, they're not hydrogen, they're electric, um, and electric's kind of leading the charge. And actually the transportation, the production of green hydrogen uh, is still very much in, I'm not going to say concept, but early stages. And so therefore, there are other technologies. People talk to me about vehicle to grid. Uh, we've had people come and talk to us about, well, I've seen this charger which pops up from the ground and uh, and you can pop it back down again. Yeah, they're great. They're trials. People are trialing mats as well, uh, electric mats and different fuels and different technologies within EV space, but also outside of that. I think hydrogen's real place is going to be in the heavy goods vehicles. Electric today struggles, um, and uh, but actually there's a long way to go in terms of still development um, going through those feasibilities and creating the pilot um, uh, equipment, which actually gets that vehicle to move from A to B. And I think we've had a few people say to us, oh, we're going to wait. We're not going to do anything on electric vehicles. We're not going to have a charging strategy because we're waiting for hydrogen. I'm just like, hold my head in my hands. I'm like, this is not a policy. Not a Electric vehicles are here today. The motor manufacturers have made that commitment in the next 10, 15, 20 years, there's a, a proven market out there which is which needs to be serviced and we all need to play our part. Don't just sit there waiting for the next technology. Embrace what's there and then work with the next technology because hydrogen and EV may sit alongside each other in certain locations and so on. It's all development, it's all movement forward. But it, it but unfortunately it's not that it's not something which I think today. If somebody said to me, "Will I put my pension into it?" I, I wouldn't today. Uh, it's not ready. So when you said you wake up in the middle of the night or early morning with these crazy bonkers ideas, um, you said you think about well, where should I start my thought process? What level do we start from? Um, you mentioned energy level. Um, 
clearly we're all aware of the energy crisis is affecting everyone. Um, how, how, do, how does the very high energy prices at the moment and volatility generally, how, how does that affect your business model? Um, I think any level of uncertainty is always uh, not great in any particular sector, and especially when you're developing a sector out. So um, interestingly, if you look at our very short history of charging tariffs, we came from a network which was free to use to introducing a tariff in what I'll call the old normal uh, in terms of power prices. We've then gone through the uh, current shocks then we've had the government intervention of uh, reduction, and now it's about to go up again because the government intervention is being reduced massively. If I look at our demand for um, uh, our charging and chargers, it's been pretty inelastic. We haven't seen a huge spike. When we, We're currently, bizarrely, one of the cheapest on the market, uh, and that wasn't an intention. We always want to be um, charging fairly and setting a fair tariff that's kind of very important to us as a business and us as individuals as well within the business. But in terms of, has that led to um, uh, increased demand? We haven't seen massive spikes because I think we're still in a stage where people are still hunting around for just infrastructure to be able to charge. They're not shopping around for price. They're shopping around for where's a charger, where's you got a good speed charger, where's it working, and so on. Mass market, I think behaviors will change. And when I mentioned at the start, we think about the end user and we're thinking about that interaction. We have a membership scheme with 18,000 members today. We're at, we ask them how they want the network built. We also ask them questions about the tariff and how they see the tariff and the impact it has on their behaviors and where they charge um, predominantly and why did they use the public network and so on. When we get to mass market, which is this 30%, I think some of those behaviors will change. So we need to keep on asking because a tariff and shopping around might become more important because you have a more, more network, more choice. And, um, but today, um, the, the volatility is not great. It just, you know, just in our sector, every sector, if we're trying to move to cleaner fuels, um, and cleaner service. We are very proud that we actually, uh, before the Octopus uh, Energy Generation Investment, we, we bought our power from Octopus. And, um, and we were very hard on not just buying greenwashed power, but actually being able to source where it's coming from, the renewable uh, in the UK, so we can point to it. And, uh, and that, you know, those factors are as important as the price and the way uh, the market is actually being affected. I'm glad to hear that. As you know, I'm very fond of corporate power purchase agreements and buying <laughs> renewable energy from the source. Any episode I can get the word corporate PPA in, I will. Um, but you've done it for me. Thank you, Asif. Uh, let's get into a little bit more detail then. So the title of the episode was Can We Retrofit Cities for an EV Revolution? You've touched upon some of the challenges, but could you give us a bit more detail? So how do you go about changing cities? The, the answer to the question is a big, big yes, uh, but it won't happen by doing things in piecemeal. You need to, so if I, if I take some examples, we've worked with um, uh, Trafford Borough Council. So that's in the north, it's Sale. In the south, it's Altrincham. Um, uh, just as, uh, and you've got a variety of income within those areas as well. And what we did uh, very early on 
which uh, Trafford encouraged, was we sat down with them and said, you want to get an EV charging infrastructure in your area. You've had a little bit of grant funding, which TFGM helped um, uh, sourced and then introduced some charges into the Trafford area. But let's sit down and create a smart infrastructure for you. And step one, let's data map where people live, where people have driveways, where people don't have driveways, where people travel to, where destinations, and create a data map, which ultimately creates, and then look at where their infrastructure, where their car parks are, where their leisure centers are as a council, and map out where those points are, and try and create some charging hubs where people are, residents are living no more than 10 minutes distance, walking distance, uh, from those charging hubs. And actually, more importantly, um, people who are traveling in and out of that area are also able to go to those charging hubs. So they're good speeds, they're working. And so it's actually a web of building that out. And we worked very closely with the uh, administration in Trafford to develop this um, strategy, which they then took to members. We created some visuals to help them be able to explain this. And then fundamentally recognizing that we need to do this in phases, in waves. So we did phase one. We're now on phase four. And actually I had a conversation with them at lunchtime where they said, okay, we now need to remap and see where the gaps are. So we need to retrofit those into the gaps. Some of those gaps might be end up being serviced by on-street or gables or bits of land or us going to go and speak to uh, private sector, retail parks in those particular areas to fill that gaps. But fundamentally, create a network regardless of wealth, regardless of EV take-up today, which is actually available for the residents and the visitors into Trafford, which ultimately helps deliver the um, 30% vehicle ambition, the 2040 transport plan in Greater Manchester and so on and so on. So the, the strategy is being is basically set very clearly we're working with them with the local administrations and retrofitting that charging infrastructure to deliver that strategy and that's and we've done that across nhs we've done that across the universities we've done that in other cities and actually in rural areas in a in a similar fashion as well so it's such a long answer it's such a short question yeah no don't worry (laughs) Uh, i was actually going to ask though that model with transport for greater manchester and trafford is that of that public partnership um model can can you learn from that and apply it in different contexts? But you're already saying then you're applying it um, in rural places and you're just adapting the model, are you? Yeah, we work in. Um, uh, if everyone ever follows me on LinkedIn, I'm a little bit shy on LinkedIn, so you don't. They don't he's do not shy posts. at all, listeners. Um, <laughs> he's called hashtag the roving CEO, um, so he's not shy. <laughs> and uh, and I go up to um, what was Cumbria. Of course, that's all being um, changed around. And that, you know, it's a great example of an area where you've got small towns, uh, a little bit of industry. So you've got people like BAE Systems and Sellafield uh, up in Barrow, a huge tourist. So 16 to 20 million people visiting each year. And thinking about that whole uh, old county of Cumbria, which has all been changed around with the government changes. Um, but it, you need it's for us. It's not one size fits all. So we will go and we will work with work through and think about the strategy. Think about the seasonality of the demand. Think about the potential locations. Whether it should be more focused on 
not on council property, but on hotels and pubs and uh, points of interest uh, and so on. But yeah, that can be replicated, but it, it always needs to be tweaked because everywhere doesn't look like Trafford and everywhere doesn't look like uh, Newcastle. Uh, we, and so the team are pretty experienced in just making sure that gets tweaked the right way of working. That sounds good. Um, really positive. Um, I was going to say thank goodness, but then I thought I do live in the north of England too, and I love northern cities. So, <laughs> <laughs> one question that you, I, I have heard people raise actually, and and I haven't quite got my head around it, which is the infrastructure and the lifespan. You know, um, from investing in various different asset classes over the years, people look at the life expectancy of an asset class. Um, what's that? How long do they last for? Well, a charger, typically, uh, the manufacturer's recommended life is about 10 years on a charger. The key thing for us is we're bringing the power network to a site. So typically, very few sites actually have enough power. So we're building substations, we're putting in um, HV connections. You know, these can be um, 400 kilowatts to 4 megawatts of power on a particular site for them to actually work their way through as vehicle numbers go up we typically are looking at a 20-year model so we're on a site for 20 years so our model is pretty simple at year 10 we price in to refresh the asset there will be new technology by then for sure Uh, you've got the power source there already and even by then going back to one of your earlier questions we may find that battery has become a lot more affordable in 10 years time And so instead of continually trying to reinforce the network from the grid, we may find that actually we can put a battery alongside the substation and actually work alongside a battery and the substation. And who knows, um, in other forms of renewable power, which could be local, um, we may be able to run. I'm going to hate to bring PPAs back up again, but private <laughs> private wires. I've not I've not been paid any money to keep on promoting PPAs, and I want to make that very clear to all the listeners. I tell you what, one point you raised earlier, not the PPA points, by the way, but um, <laughs> one point was the you mentioned the impact on communities. I, I think it'd be worth just exploring a, a little bit more about that. It, what sort of clearly we think it has a positive impact on communities, but can it apply to all sorts of communities? You know, can everyone afford an EV charging car? You know, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So for me, the in life, you've got to get the basics right. So when we work with a public sector partner or a private sector partner, the first thing we do is we secure the site, we go out and we make sure we can deliver that site to so secure the power build the infrastructure, get it right, and then make sure for its life, for those 20 years, it's working. And our network today, if you look at our stats in 2022, our network was available 99.6% of the time. So get the basics right. That's a deliverable to the community just in doing that because over half of the charges in the UK today, which are installed, don't actually work, which is pretty horrendous. Um, so that for us is a basic, uh, hygiene, which you have to get right. But then it's about, um, when I look back at my career and every time we built something amazing and Natasha, you and I worked in the good old days on street lighting projects and, uh, please don't remind everyone of that. (laughs) And we introduced (laughs) LED lighting. Exactly. 
Exactly, but we've introduced LED lighting and dimming and trimming, which are massive energy savings, reducing light pollution, improving the environment, which also improves nature uh, in cities. And uh, typically people were out on the streets complaining, it gives me headaches, it's a funny light, and so on. And I replicate that across a huge amount of the infrastructure we built, and the people were generally, the community generally felt like they were disconnected, a big building's being built, uh, it's behind a wall. How do I ever get access to that? So that's why when we've thought about this EV charging infrastructure, we thought about how do you get that community involved? So yeah, part of this is, you know, as I use in the traffic example, build it equally across uh, geography so everyone everyone gets access regardless of wealth. But it's also about building place. And we're building these, um, I'll call them amazing um, um, charging stations, the electric forecourt of the future. We call them our green oasis. So instead of charging within a conventional forecourt environment, where we've created parks, the mini parks where people can go and charge, 16 bays, ultra rapid charging with a bit of dwell activity. So there's a, a shop or, or something else there. And effectively trying to think about creating these pockets of greenery in sometimes very harsh urban environments, which contributes to community. So EV drivers, non-EV drivers, and non-drivers can actually look at that and think, wow, that's amazing. I'm really happy that architecture, that thought process has gone in into my particular area. We also are conscious about our the footprint in a particular environment. We're not just coming in and going out. We're thinking about the local jobs. We, t- we work with our supply chain about what training can we do, what support can we give as we develop this. Because we're going to need more people with the right skills to be able to deliver this. We work with the, For now, we're working with the University of Manchester because this isn't always about engineers, actually data. So we're working with the data scientists uh, and we're giving them problems and saying, you are the future brains of this country here's a problem, can you help us solve it? And last year they looked at how would you roll out charging infrastructure in small towns and rural areas as a problem uh, over a semester. And they came back and I was like, wow, actually, these guys are good. And actually we should be employing some of them going forward. But it's creating an ecosystem on the back of something very simple, which actually develops into a real community ecosystem. That's how we're thinking about this. Another very short, snappy answer to a short question. (laughs) But thank you. That was really interesting. Um, Look, I'm going to start wrapping up now. Um, So I would like your view. Clearly, we know in the UK um, there are regulatory drivers for the progression of the EV sector. Um, But if you look forward to 2030 globally, what sort of market share? How do you think the EV sector will be doing globally? Fundamentally, it comes down to power. So... Uh, you know, in um, certain countries where they haven't got a uh, power infrastructure, they're going to struggle to be able to uh, adopt EV. Uh, Western Europe, um, North America, uh, Australia, New Zealand, yeah, great. They're going to get on with it. Japan, China will get on with it. Um, uh, the other other places will, will be a challenge. My, my business partner one asked, once asked me, what's the end point I said, when we're installing charges in Addis Ababa, that's the end point. <laughs> and, um, and that, I think, is quite relevant because it's not just about our ability. It's about how that infrastructure, the power infrastructure gets built around it. 
Thanks, Asif. I always like to wrap up these podcasts by asking, are you optimistic for the future? So for the energy transition and EV charging, I think I know your answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Natasha, you know, my answer in life is I'm pretty optimistic <laughs> about everything. And even when I kind of think there's a there's a problem which we're never going to be able to solve, we will find a way. What you need behind you is always a great lawyer. Oh, that's a great plug. And I didn't pay him for that. <laughs> but, oh, look, on that note, Asif, I, I would just like to say thank you so much for a really interesting and great com- conversation. It's been really fascinating to hear what you've been up to um, in the UK and then, you know, also seeing how that applies globally as well. Clearly, it's a massive area of growth and innovation. And I really look forward to seeing um, your business and the sector grow. So thank you. Thank you for letting us share our story. Thanks a lot, Natasha. Please subscribe to the series at dlapiper.com forward slash ENR or via your usual podcast platform. Mm -hmm.